since the end of June in the General Assemblies of, of Senna Senlec, uh, we've created together as the members new categories of membership that will enable BSI's membership post-2021 without any possibility of, of, of challenge. We now need to undergo an assessment against the new membership category. Uh, an assessment is a regular thing within within Sen and Senlec. Uh, and then after that, we'll, BSI will be confirmed in this new category of membership as of the 1st of January 2022. Bringing you the stories behind the standards. This is the BSI Education Podcast with Matthew Childs and Cindy Parakil. Today's episode is on standards and Brexit. Hello, my name is Matthew Childs, and the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. In today's episode, we look at a story that started way back on the 23rd of June 2016. Though at the time, I don't think anybody had any real idea about how the story would unfold, the twists and turns it would take, and even if it would have a happy ending, or any ending at all for that matter. I am, of course, talking about the UK referendum on its membership of the European Union and all of the resultant political, social and economic consequences that have followed. There have been some consequences for standards and for BSI too. Now, the voice you heard at the top of the episode was Richard Collin, Head of National and European Policy at BSI, talking about one of those consequences, BSI's membership of the European Standards Bodies, SEN and SENLEC. As well as Sen and Senlec membership, we talked to Richard about some of the other issues relating to standards and Brexit, including harmonised standards, designated standards, and the Northern Ireland Protocol. Once the largest empire, Britain, is an island again, the United Kingdom declared independence from the European Union in a referendum that felt like a revolution, bitter, violent, cleaving the kingdom almost precisely in half. For me the UK referendum on EU membership was one of those moments in life when you remember exactly where you were. I was at home in South London watching the TV coverage. Like millions of others, I'd stayed up to watch the referendum results come in. The night started in much the same way as it does for general elections, wondering whether or not the Sunderland constituencies were the first to declare their results. As it turned out, the three Sunderland constituencies were the first to declare. But of course... This was no constituency vote. It was a national one. I hereby give notice that I have certified the following. The total number of votes cast in favour of Remain was 51,930. The total number of votes cast in favour of Leave was 82,000. There was also no exit poll on which to base predictions. As the night progressed, the possibility of a Leave win, not given too much credence by political pundits in the final days leading up to the vote, even though it had been predicted to be close, was gathering momentum. It was at 4.40am on the 24th of June that David Dimbleby, the host for the BBC TV coverage, said those now famous words, we're out. That's the uh, result of this referendum which has been preceded by weeks and months of argument and dispute and all the rest of it, the British people have spoken and the answer is, we're out. In the hours and days that followed, it became pretty clear to everyone that the result was seismic, sensational and serious. And what's happened politically in the UK in the five years since the referendum has certainly borne this out. 
When I arrived at the office the next morning, I was met with blank faces similar to my own. And not just because we'd all only had a few hours sleep. No one quite knew what to say. Everyone felt a bit discombobulated. Now, it's important to say that standards in many ways exist outside of these political shenanigans. They are neutral instruments, developed by consensus, and are not the law. So with the UK deciding to leave the EU, you'd have been forgiven for thinking that Brexit would have no impact on how standards were developed and used. Well, things are not always as simple as that. In this episode, we explore some of the fallout of Brexit and its impact on standards with our guest Richard Collin, someone definitely not confused and discombobulated back in June 2016. He has more than 30 years experience working in and around standards. Now, we've wanted to cover standards and Brexit on the podcast for some time, but we've just been waiting for the right moment. We have touched on it briefly before when we spoke to Sen and Senlec Director General Elena Santiago Cid in episode 13 on the issue of European standards. And also with Richard Collin himself in episode 22 when he answered a listener question on the issue of standards, Brexit and trade deals as part of our press conference. Listen out for a whole episode on standards and trade coming very soon. But this is the first time we've addressed standards and Brexit head on. Now, also in this episode, Cindy Paracal joins me later for our Standards Desk of News. And we have the latest of our My Favourite Standard. This time we hear from BSI's Catherine Hunter, talking very personally about why ISO 12402 has come to mean so much to her and her family. Listen on to find out what that standard is all about. But before we get going proper, a quick reminder that for more information on BSI Education, go to bsigroup.com forward slash education. Do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and share us on social media using the hashtag BSIEdPod. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or previous episodes or even ideas for future episodes, then do please get in touch at education at bsigroup.com. We really welcome your feedback. My conversation with Richard Collin is in three parts. In part three, we talk about the issue of the Northern Ireland Protocol as it relates to standards and regulations, and also explore the future for standards development in light of the UK's new trading relationships. In part two, we look at the relationship between laws and standards, and in particular the separate systems of harmonised standards for the EU and designated standards for the UK. In this first part, we talk about those changes to BSI's membership of SEN and SENLEC. But we start with Richard's personal standards journey. Well, uh, thanks, Matthew, for asking. Um, my standards journey, I guess, started quite some time ago. My my career started out in the late 1980s, working in, in trading standards, so in consumer protection, enforcement of local authorities. And my, that, that was also my first experience with standards uh, in product safety, toys, things things like that. And and that linkage to standards continued through my, my trading standards life, continued till I moved uh, in the early 2000s to, to Belgium, where I went to work for the European Commission 
in uh, in, in the standardization policy unit in the in the enterprise director general so from then on i've been very much in the in the standards world first in the european commission and then 2010 i came and joined bsi and, and been been here ever since in various different roles so it's it is it is a journey a journey through different bits of, of my career all of which have had standards linkages uh, over a period now of, of of more than 30 years now, Richard, before we get on to the thornier issues of standards and Brexit, can you tell us about BSI's membership of Sen and Senleg? Yeah, of course. Well, just take a step back. BSI obviously is the, the UK's national standards body. We bring together UK stakeholders to develop standards that are needed for the for the UK markets. But, but of course, one of the main benefits of standards comes from reducing trade barriers, the idea that you make one product and you can sell it in multiple markets, for example, because you're making it to a standard that's been agreed broadly across across a region or across the world. And, and that's why really now nowadays uh, something like 95% of the standards that BSI publishes uh, come from uh, international or European organizations where, where, we, where we take part. And Senate Senlec are the European regional organisations of which BSI is a, is a member, and so that that's why we're in that that club. They're, they're private membership associations of thirty four members, so broader than the, the, the than the EU, uh, and and developing standards for the needs of their market, but linking wherever possible to international standards as well. So that's that's why we're in Senate Senate. Like they're the European regional organizations that we link into that go from there to the international organizations as well. And did anything change as a result of Brexit for our Senate Senate like membership? Uh, yeah, the, the statutes of, of Senate Senate like have always said that the members are the national standards bodies of EU member countries or European Free Trade Association member countries or countries going to join one of those. And so when we came to the the, uh, the referendum and heading towards uh, the UK's exit from the EU, it was clear that the UK would no longer fit into those categories anymore. The, the, that didn't mean that necessarily that the BSI had to leave. It just meant that the statutes needed to be to reflect the political situation better. And so we've been working over the last five years to update those statutes with the other members of Sen and Senlac. So yes, you mentioned that the five years. It's incredible. It's been five years since uh, since the referendum results. You know, what about our Sen Senlac membership now? What's the latest? Great question, Matthew. The latest is, is some good news. Um, since last week, uh, the General Assemblies, since the end of June, in the General Assemblies of, of Sen and Senlec, uh, we've created together as the members new categories of membership that will enable BSI's membership post-2021 without any possibility of, of, of challenge. We now need to undergo an assessment against the new membership category. Uh, an assessment is a regular thing within, within Sen and Senlec. Uh, and then after that, we'll, BSI will be confirmed in this new category of membership as of the 1st of January 2022. So what does this mean then in terms of the UK's ability through BSI to participate in the development of European standards? Well, what it will mean for, for the UK experts who take part in the in the national committees and through them in the in the European committees is that they can still participate in exactly the same way as they do now. 
they can participate in any European committee, as is the case now. They can UK experts can be the chair or working group convener. BSI can provide the secretariat of the European Committee, and we continue with the voting with the, with the same weights, uh, uh, same weighting as as is the case now. So no change to the technical participation. Do you want to know more about the role and purpose of standards in the modern world? Then BSI's free online course, The Power of Standards, is for you. Through its three modules, you'll learn about what standards are, why organizations use them, how they are made, and how and why people get involved in standards making. The course is designed to last around 30 minutes, but you don't need to complete it all at once. You can stop at any point and restart again later when you're ready. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. We'll pick up our conversation with Richard shortly. But Cindy, it's that time in the episode. Shall we have the Standards Desk of News? Yep, let's do it. Standards and the Digital Economy. BSI has published a new white paper on the role of standards in supporting the transition to a digital economy and facilitating digital trade. Developing countries are investing in digital technology, but only at half the rate of their developed counterparts. The paper identifies that an important barrier to uptake is a lack of trust in digital technology and suggests that international standards are the missing keystone in the bridge to a digital economy. The publication of the white paper follows on from BSI recently joining the UNCTAD-led E-Trade for All network. UNCTAD is a United Nations conference on trade and development. And sticking with all things digital, BSI has announced a new digital strategy advisory group. Yes, indeed. The advisory group, comprising industry leaders and innovators, has been formed to provide BSI with insight on the fast-changing technological and data developments in industry worldwide to ensure that standards support domestic UK digital transformation. ISO 9001 passes fitness test. Used by millions of organizations around the globe, ISO 9001, Quality Management Systems, has passed its warrant of fitness. Like all ISO standards, ISO 9001 undergoes a systematic review every five years to decide whether it needs to be revised. This is important to ensure that the standard is still globally relevant and meets the needs of its users. The result of the review was that no revision was needed. And finally, when waste becomes worthwhile. Made from turning landfill into a clean source of energy, solid recovered fuels, or SRP, are a powerful way of reducing carbon emissions and contributing to a greener world. SRP involves taking solid wastes, often from our own households, and transforming them into energy for heat and electricity. To help support its expansion in a sustainable way, a series of ISO standards has just been published. The ISO SRF series is a collection of nine new standards aimed at providing an agreed terminology, methods and quality levels to facilitate trade and growth in the industry. And that's the Standards Desk of News. So 
So, Richard, can you tell us now um, how and why are standards linked to EU laws? I think it's important first to recognise that all over the world, it's common that governments call up standards in support of regulations. And, and indeed, the, the World Trade Organization's Technical Barriers to Trade Agreement requires member countries, like the UK or EU member states as well, requires the member countries to base their national technical regulations on international standards unless they have good reason to do so. So it's, it's, a, it's a very common thing that a, that a technical regulation will in some way call up a standard. And so that, that's uh, the same within the EU as, as in the UK and, and, and elsewhere, that uh, EU laws say, well, we want to make our, our laws uh, in a way that, that reflects international good practice. And that international good practice delivered on the basis of consensus is seen in standards. And therefore, uh, the the uh, the EU regulations do call upon standards. Now we've talked on the podcast before very briefly about the issue of harmonised standards. We talked to Elena Santiago Seed of, of Sen and Senlec. Um, can you tell, for your perspective, or what are just remind us, or what are harmonised standards? You know, what's the purpose of them? The the reference from regulation to standard can be done in a number of ways. You can have a, a reference that says when you're measuring emissions of, of something, you shall use ISO one, standard one two three four five. You can have that kind of direct reference, or you can have other references where the law will say if you meet the requirements of a standard that's published in a separate publication, you are deemed to comply with this with this regulation. And harmonised standards form in. Uh, fall into that category. Now, to be a harmonised standard, that's a, that's a legal definition in EU law that means that it's a standard that's been requested by the European Commission from the European Standards Organisations, Sen, Senlec or Etsy, and to support EU harmonisation legislation. So it's, it's a specific uh, legal definition that is applied to some European standards. And these, this uh, area of regulation where you have this area of harmonisation regulation, where you have harmonised standards, primarily links to CE marking, CE marking regulations. And CE marking is something we're very familiar with seeing all over all sorts of different products, whether they're toys or electrical equipment or PPE, medical devices. You see this, this, this CE marking. That will normally mean that there are harmonized European standards that the EU then recognizes by citing them in the official journal of the EU. And then once that's, once that's done, then if you use that standard, you're presumed to comply with the re- relevant parts of the regulation. So you mentioned there that sort of funny C and funny E that you, that you see on products. That's I suppose, it. you know, what sort of standards are we talking about here and, and how many of the, of the entire catalogue would be, would be harmonised? Well, the, the, in terms of how many, there, there are about 3,500 uh, harmonised standards that are cited in the official journal of the EU. Uh, that's something like 15% of the total of European standards. And these can be test methods or they can be specifications. So a number of different types of, of standards. Uh, and and, and you know, it's a reasonably large number. It's a, it's a minority. It's a very important minority of the total number of European standards. Now, we now have a system of designated standards. I feel I should take a step back here before I ask you to say, what is this? What is this system of designated standards? Why do we have it? How, and how, how is it different to harmonise standards? Uh, Matthew, that's a very good question, a question I get a lot. Um, this is uh, the, the way in which the product regulations 
for which harmonised standards are cited by the by the EU in the official journal are, are brought into UK law following EU exit. Uh, as people will probably be familiar, the approach the UK government took to EU exit was try to roll over legislation from the EU into national law, while at the same time removing linkages back to the EU. So, for example, the Commission will do this or, or the EU will do that, and instead replacing it with a UK standalone structure. So that's exactly what's happened here. That concept of standards that provide a presumption of conformity to regulation, so those are harmonised standards when they're cited in the official journal, that's been replaced with uh, the, the concept of UK government recognising the standard, designating the standard in a separate publication, but linking through to the same requirements in the, in the regulation as before. So now, following on from the end of the transition period at the start of this year, we have about 3,500 designated standards that enable products to comply with regulation. Now, when you use them, you're presumed to meet the relevant parts of those regulations. And of course, where we start from is that those regulations, the technical requirements are identical between the what's in the, the UK and the old EU requirements. Uh, worth noting, of course, uh, that, that uh, that's not the same in, in Northern Ireland. Um, but I think maybe we'll we'll talk about that a bit yeah, later. Yeah, let's let's come back to that. So on, so just so I'm clear, then, so we have the harmonised standards covering around three and a half thousand. We have a system of designated standards uh, in the UK, and it, that's the same number of standards, exactly the same set of standards that are now called, that were harmonised that are now called designated. Uh, on the first of January, it was the the same. Exactly the same standards were designated by UK government as was cited in the official journal, as long as it was a regulation for which standards were designated. There were a few hundred where where that wasn't the case, but it, they were the, they were the same editions of the same standards. Government simply took the lists from the official journal and brought them over to a to a UK publication. Very important to note that it this is a governmental act designating a standard. Well, it's not something that the standards mm-hmm. body does. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So, who decides what's designated? Yeah, government decides. This, this, the act of designation, in the same way the act of citation uh, in the official journal by the European Commission, the act of designation has a legal effect because it enables the use of that standard to be to, to enable a presumption of conformity to the regulation, and that is a legal effect, and therefore it's a governmental act to do it. So looking, I suppose, in, in the future, then we have this, this pot over here that's designated standards and a pot over here on the other side that's harmonised, which are the same the same standards, but just called in, referred to in different terms. Will there be divergence in the future? Will, will one gro- pot grow bigger than the other or will they, <laughs> by magic, match? Well, again, a, a good question, Matthew. I, I, it's important to recognise that because the, the citation uh, on the EU side and the designation on the UK side are governmental acts and they are, are done in uh, separate regulatory jurisdictions, UK and EU, then there is nothing to say necessarily that the listings will stay exactly the same. Uh, UK government uh, and the EU in their trade and cooperation agreement that's signed uh, and agreed since the start of the year, there's no commitment there to regulatory alignment and therefore the positions can be different. Now, what we're doing in BSI is to help UK government by 
letting them know when new standards are coming through the process from the send and select system such that they can update the listings with the with the uh, with the newer editions of, of, of those standards that are already designated um, but that doesn't mean that, that we're necessarily as the standards body uh, deter- influencing the decision whether to designate or not that is government's decision and so there are two separate regulatory processes going on which of course may come to different outcomes. Are you a postgraduate studying at a UK university? Do you have a research idea or project that involves standards in some way? Well, if so, BSI Student Research Programme can help. The way it works is simple. We gain valuable information about an area of interest to our standards work, while you can benefit from mentorship to support your project and the chance to gain knowledge and exposure that may increase your future employability. To find out more about the program, including case studies of previously supported projects and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. My favorite standard. Hi, my name's Catherine Hunter. I work in a team at BSI that develops a whole range of different standards. And the standard that I've picked today as my favourite is BSEN ISO 12402. Uh, This has a number of different parts to it, but they all cover safety requirements for personal flotation devices, also known as life jackets. Um, And the life jackets that are covered by the standard are used by adults, children and infants for general offshore or rough water use. Um, Part of the standard actually helps you to understand whether or not a life jacket meets the relevant minimum safety requirements. So tests that uh, manufacturers can carry out on the life jackets. And one of these is how quickly you would roll over and face upwards if you were wearing the life jacket and you were in the water. And also what the height is between the surface of the water and your airway. Again, if you're in the water and wearing the life jacket. So this is a standard that I haven't actually worked on at my time at BSI, but I wanted to pick a standard that was really important to me as a consumer. And we've been taking our children sailing since they were one and three years old. They're now a bit older um, and we've been through a succession of different buoyancy aids and life jackets as they've got bigger. Um, As a consumer, it can be really difficult to understand what you should opt for in terms of a a buoyancy aid or a life jacket, there are lots of considerations around the weight of your child um, and what you'll be using the life jacket for, what sort of sailing you'll be doing. But as a consumer, the most important thing for me is the safety of my children. And knowing that there's a standard that specifies these minimum safety requirements is incredibly reassuring. And I did look actually this morning at the technical committee that is the UK input to to this um, international standard which has been adopted in the UK as well. And I did have a look to double check to see who was on the technical committee because I was interested to see who'd been involved in developing this standard. And obviously the Royal Yachting Association, the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, two incredibly important organisations in the world of yachting are on that technical committee, along with a whole range of um, manufacturers of life jackets and buoyancy aids. So that's my choice for my favourite standard uh, because of the tremendous confidence and trust that it gives me as a consumer when I'm investing in a really important piece of safety equipment for my children. So Richard, you've you've talked about the the Sand and Sunlight membership. 
uh, which has, has now been resolved, which is fantastic. And and BSI and uh, standards experts will continue to play their role within the standards making process. You've talked about about harmonised standards, and now we have a new system of designated standards. I just wonder if you know th- those two things combined, what impact will they have now go- going forward on the standards making process from a UK perspective? Matthew, very interesting. We're working through with uh, with government their expectations. We're working through with uh, with our trade bodies and, and other stakeholders and, and committees their understanding of what all this will mean and, and how it will impact them. But certainly, there's there's a different position now uh, for standards developing committees in the UK, how they relate to UK only regulation, even if that regulation is this, the same as still as the EU regulation. Um, there's a different relationship there. And we need to understand what that will look like uh, as we move further on in, in time and as regulations develop. So it's it, it, this is all uh, a work in progress, um, trying to uh, understand what those relationships need to be. Um, but certainly what we see is, uh, whereas previously um, the, the, the work that's needed to be done to show how standards link to regulation right across the EU and the other European markets has been spread among 34 countries. Now in relation to UK re- regulation, that's only spread among our experts. Now, Richard, what about the Northern Ireland protocol that we hear so much about? Will things be the same in Northern Ireland as they are for the rest of the UK? Um, Matthew, no, no. Things are, things are different in Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK, from Great Britain, England, Scotland and Wales. The Northern Ireland protocol um, that's designed to prevent a hard border on the island of Ireland by making sure that, that the regulations between the two are, are the same. That says that for certain legislation, the UK law in Northern Ireland will continue to align with EU legislation. And in those areas that are particularly relevant for the standards and regulations relationship, so those areas of CE marking legislation, for example, they are covered by the Northern Ireland Protocol. And so what that means is that when EU law changes, uh, then either it will apply directly, as happened with the medical device regulation, or the UK government will bring in new law to apply that EU law directly in, in Northern Ireland. So whereas you have a system of UKCA marking and designated standards in Great Britain, in Northern Ireland, you have a, you have a system of CE marking and the citation of standards by the European Commission and the official journal of the EU. So they've continued, as has been the case prior to the end of transition period, uh, whereas the UK, uh, rest of UK, uh, Great Britain, has moved on to the designated standards and UKCA marking system. It will not be legal to create a product. Uh, it will not be legal to manufacture a product with the UKCA marking following the designated standards and doing all the declarations that are needed and sell that into Northern Ireland, it would still need to have the CE marking. So if you're making things in Northern Ireland, you have to have both markings? No, in Northern Ireland, you have to have the CE marking. There's there's an additional marking that can be used, a UK NI marking, that could go along with the CE marking. But to sell in Northern Ireland, you must have the CE marking. UK CA marking isn't good enough. Um, whereas at the moment, to sell in the, in the rest of UK, CE marking is still recognised 
until the end of this year, in most areas slightly longer in medical devices and, and others. Um, there's a unilateral recognition by UK government to, to make the change over to UKCA slightly easier. Uh, but UKCA and CE are for separate regulatory jurisdictions. So as a final thought then, Richard, what about the longer term? You know, what, what are the changes that are underway for the UK in terms of, of European standards? Well, Matthew, B- BSI is, uh, as the UK's national standards body will continue to speak to our stakeholders, committee members, consumer organisations, trade associations and so on, to understand and respond to their needs for standards, their needs for standards to place products on the market here and uh, in the EU and globally. And, and at the same time, of course, we'll respond to UK government's needs. And it, clearly, as the national standards body, it's essential that we enable um, uh, enable the conformity to uh, regulations in the domestic market. We'll do that by managing the requests of government and the needs of our stakeholders through our international memberships of ISO and IEC, of SEND and SEND and ETSI, to make sure that wherever possible, we're, we're creating a, a global solution that has UK influence, that maximizes that influence in terms of global trade, maximizes the, the opportunity for, for products made identically to be sold uh, around the world uh, and to meet regulations both here and, uh, and in the EU. And so it's, it's, a, it's a question of understanding the needs of our stakeholders, but uh, responding to government policy and doing that within a global context. And, and this, of course, is the, the beauty of standards. We have identical, globally applicable standards developed from our perspective in the UK with the systematic involvement of UK experts. And they enable trade, they enable consumer protection, and then critically as well, they enable the support to regulations in different jurisdictions. Our thanks to Richard Collin for his contributions to this episode. To find out more about standards and the UK's EU exit and its new trading arrangements, visit bsigroup.com forward slash Brexit. You have been listening to an episode of the BSI Education Podcast. Subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production. 